Let's pray and we'll jump in to Daniel 6. Lord, Lord, we thank you for today, for a week that's forecasted to have the Son. We give you praise. We give you praise. And Lord, uh, help us now as we see the sun rising in the morning and the longer day. All of this has been done by you. You're the creator. You're the sustainer. You're the Lord of all. And the world is falling apart, and yet you are not. So help us to live like you, to be your people who represent you on this earth, who are not shaken by circumstances, who are not shaken by the winds of change, whether it's political or social or financial, but are steadfast, absolutely secure in the fact that we're loved by you, and we want to live that out, Lord. So help us as we look at the scriptures to learn from Daniel and to learn from the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Men. Okay, so we're back in Daniel. We're going to look at Daniel 6. It's probably the most famous chapter in the book. It's what Daniel's known for the lion's den. And I'll, I'll confess, I've never spent a night with a lion, but I did have five minutes with a tiger in Thailand. No joke. Um, I was in Chiang Mai two years ago, and so there's a tiger sanctuary. And so uh, his name is Tony. He's on a, he's on a cereal box. Anyway, No. Uh, there was small, medium, large, and extra large, and I thought, go big or go home. And so Penny was there, and it was frightening. So I'm there. I go in the cage to close it, and then I, they're like, put your hand. I'm like, really? Yeah. And then we'll take your photo. I thought that was great. What you can't see here is it's a little cropped. Right above me is what freaked me out. Next photo, there was a tiger right behind me. So I'm like with, oh, cute little water tiger. This one, like, stand up and slowly walk backwards and get close. At that point, I wanted to leave the cage because, because you realize, like, get close to touch, touch. Like, no, I, I, want, I don't want to die. That's the closest, man. And now it's like not even five minutes and I got all the guards around me. I can't even imagine. See, we, we've so told the story of Daniel and the lion's den that it's hard to even imagine. Number one, the guy's in his 80s. Like great-grandpa is in the lion's den. Daniel's in his 80s, but he's been faithful to God under Nebuchadnezzar and under Belteshazzar. He's been faithful to God as the politics have changed. Remember, the Babylonian Empire is leading, and at the end of chapter 5... Total sweeping change. Darius the Mede, the Medo-Persian Empire, comes and rules. Cyrus, Darius, and now a whole new way of living. It's, we, we think, you know, Democrats or Republicans and political change. This is an absolute revolution. Violent overthrow. And what happens to Daniel in the middle of all this change? Daniel 6, verse 1. Look at Daniel in the middle of all this change. It pleased Darius to appoint... 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of who was Daniel. Uh, the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole Kingdom. There's a recurring theme all over the book of Daniel. We need to say it every week because it's the point of the book. When the world is out of control, God is still in control. That is the story of Daniel. Kings come and go. Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, now Darius, Babylonians, Persians, Medes, 
All of this change, and in our lifetime, if you live for a long time, you're going to see a lot of change. But when the world's out of control, God is still in control. So the Persians were more organized. They had a, it was the hugest empire the world had ever known. They conquered everyone. So it's interesting how it, the dynamics change. He, Darius, gets satraps. It's, you could put it, a protector of the kingdom, uh, administrators, who are going to make sure that no one cheats their taxes. Why? Because we'll kill you. So the 120 are kind of like the king's spies to make sure that the king and the kingdom get their money. Three people oversee the 120, and Daniel is one of them. This is interesting. This is super helpful. Even in his 80s, Daniel's employable. He navigates. He's not so stuck. He's not so rigid. He's not so old school that he can't flex with the new environment. And I think this is so helpful because of God's help, he becomes top uh, manager, top of the three, and Darius wants to make him number one. This is so much help and hope for us. God can use you no matter what's going on in your job, no matter what's going on in your neighborhood, no matter what's going on in your company. You could be bought out, merged, whatever the case may be. When the world's out of control, God's in control. And God could lead you to the place that he wants to lead you, and God could use you anywhere. You don't need human intervention. What you need is God. God can get you there. Thank you very much. Now, next week, we're going to go into the freak-out mode because the second half of Daniel 7 through 12 is all about apocalyptic literature, prophecy, the future. It's, we're all going to get weirded out together, okay? So this is the end. The first half is narrative, story, Daniel. And then... The writer of the book does it beautifully, tells the whole story. Then in chapter 7 through 12, we're going to go back and look at these points where God spoke words about the future. That's next week. A couple of things I want us to see, though, some of its repetition about Daniel before we move on to what God has to say about our future and how he says it. Um, some things we want to be reminded of. Write them down. Number one, Daniel is faithful in character. Notice, they don't have anything to accuse Daniel of. No, nothing to accuse Daniel of. Da Daniel's full of integrity. He's trustworthy. He's honest. He's hardworking. He's, he's someone that, even though Darius didn't grow up with him, didn't really know him, Darius conquered, but he thought, this guy is worth making number one. It's interesting. Rather than making someone that he came in with number one, He's willing to take a local. Here's why. God is with him. So let me just ask you the question. Daniel is faithful in character. Are we the kind of people that God can promote? Are you the kind of person that God can promote? Faithfulness in the small. Remember, Daniel starts his career just being faithful, faithful, and God raises him up. Are you the kind of person that God can unleash in a new opportunity, or in the small things, have you allowed compromise to come in, laziness to come in, whatever, distraction to come in, and put you in a spot where God wants to lift you up. He wants to make you more useful for him. In the end, Daniel represents God to the people, not just his job, but we need to be the kind of people who pursue the life like Daniel. Faithful in character. And by the way, as our culture is, is growing increasingly hostile to the Bible, increasingly hostile to the church, increasingly hostile to the Christian message, 
this is not bad news for us. Some people are like, man, I wish it were like in the 50s where you know, everyone talked about Jesus. And the question was, what church do you go to, not do you go to church? Man, if we were in those days, we would see God at work. No. Well, maybe. I don't think any environment is more useful. God can work in any environment. So it would have been nice where everyone talks about Jesus, but we're not in a culture where everyone is flocking to get to know him. But here's what we can do. Here's what Daniel does. Even though the governments change, and when the government changes there, the gods change because they bring in their gods. Daniel is in, has integrity in his character, faithful in his character, and guess what? He's going to get to speak for the true God. So you and I always have an open door in the workplace or where we go to school, or in our neighborhood, if we have character, you're worth listening to. And that's a word for all of us. If you have a consistent life, not a perfect life, but a consistent life, then guess, guess what? That's going to open future open doors. So hear me. You may not have an open door today, but if you live faithful to Jesus in the small stuff, and you work your tail off, and show what hard work is like in Jesus' name. Remember Colossians 3? Whatever you do, whether in word and deed, do it as unto the Lord. It's not man that you're serving. Who is it? It's God. So we serve God just like Daniel. Now, that doesn't mean, though, if we are faithful to God, that other people are going like, to want to fall in love with him. Let's not be naive. Look at what happens in verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps they try to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government, affair, of government affairs, but they're unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We've, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king, and they said, May King Darius... Live forever. When the doubt suck up to the king, right? The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den. They already had these dens, uh, these lions caged up for sports. So this wasn't weird or new. Now, your majesty, verse 8, issue the decree, put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in, in writing. This is so clever. They can't get Daniel uh, in character issues, so they know he's, he's faithful to this God. Aha! What they'll do is make the king feel good about himself. So they go in with the plot. Hey, you, Darius, the king, the leader, is, is often a gateway to the gods, or in some cultures, even a god himself. So they're like, this is, you're new, right? You're new leading this area. Let everyone know if they want to make it to the gods, they have to go through you. You're the authority. You're God's representative. So just 30 days. If anyone's going to go to God or gods, they got to go through you. Which, of course, like stroke the ego of the leader. It sounds like a great idea. I think we should like put it back into practice. Not really. But what, what do we do? We see here in verse 10, Daniel responds. Look at his response. Now, when Daniel learned 
that the, decree, that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with a window open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Underline that one. This wasn't new. Just as he had done before. Then these men was a, went as a group, and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown to the lions? Then the king answered, the decree stands. In accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention, your majesty. Order the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to, to save him. So you have this weird interplay. The king, you know, does what his, what his leaders say. Sounds like a good idea, but he loves Daniel. So he's caught between a rock and a hard place. The law is to make him look like a good guy who represents the gods. Now he can't break his own law. He's not going to do it to save face. But notice Daniel's faithfulness. Remember, we're talking about faithfulness in a broken world. We know that Daniel's faithful in character. The second thing we have to see consistently is that Daniel is faithful in prayer. He's faithful in prayer. We get a glimpse, a little window into Daniel's life, his devotion. It says three times a day he prayed. So the implication here is that's his normal rhythm. Daniel doesn't start a prayer vigil when the, when the law. This was so interesting. You know, like, you know, laws are about to be enacted or issues come up and we were trying to rally. Okay, come on, people. We need to pray. And for some, that's your first time actively pursuing God when it's at a time of crisis. And I would just say to you, well done. In a time of crisis, turn to Jesus. But wouldn't it be better if we were like Daniel? Nothing changes. The king says, you can't pray to anyone but me, which is a direct violation of the word of God, which Daniel knows to be true. So he's not rebellious. He's just consistent. If he would have said, hey, look, you can pray wherever you want, but I'd, I'd like you to pray over here, that's one thing. Daniel would probably pray in a different place. Don't pray in your home. Pray in the temple. Okay, we'll do that. But when the king comes directly against God, Daniel is in love with God, and he sticks with him, and he's faithful in prayer. So what does Daniel have? He has times, times to pray, three times a day. Now, do you have to pray three times a day? The Bible doesn't command us to, but I can tell you where Daniel got this from. He must have got it from Psalm 55. Uh, David the king had said, as for me, I call to God. The, the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. That's King David, the leader, saying, evening at nighttime, morning, and at noon, I cry out in distress, and God saves me. And I've got to think that Daniel, who knows the Bible, has this pattern, if King David needs God, I need God. So he has times of prayer. Do you have times of prayer? What's your rhythm like? It doesn't have to be morning or morning only. It doesn't have to be evening. It could be little bits along 
the day. I actually use an app. It's called Echo, and you can download it for free. And it's a prayer app. And what I do is, as people ask me to pray, I throw it in there. And here's the cool: it has an automatic notifier. Every hour on the hour, it throws a little prayer request on my phone or my watch. And every hour, I talk to God about someone or something, and it takes me 30 seconds. Do you know your name may be on my phone or my watch right now? Freaky. But if you said, hey, will you pray about this? You end up in my app, and the app notifies me. Now you say, well, why can't you just remember to pray? Because I can't remember to pray. I can't. I just, I'm, I'm going along. I got, I got so much stuff going on. I, I, but I, I use a tool to remind me. So if you need a tool, get a tool. So Daniel has time to pray. He has space to pray. Notice he goes to his house, to this upper room in his house with a window. This is so interesting. Facing Jerusalem. I love it. Jerusalem was the place of God's presence. Remember where the temple was. God, Yahweh, would meet with his people at that space. And he's far from Jerusalem. Thousands of miles away. He's in a foreign land. But his, his eyes, he gets himself. I have a place where I go. And I look to the place where God's help comes from. I look to Jerusalem. Do you have to face Jerusalem when you pray? No. Here's the point. He has a pattern about coming to God. And he gets in a space and he looks in a direction that's going to focus his attention, which means it's hard to super multitask, isn't it? And stay focused on God. And so, yes, I have my, like, every hour on the hour, like, some prayer requests, but I also have morning time with a couch and a, and, and a fluffy blanket and a dog that's in love with me. And Daisy comes up and she just lays there and, all right, it's time to talk to Jesus, Dad. And she just lays there and that's my space in the morning where I'm most fresh. No emails, no social media, Jesus, the word of God, prayer first before anyone gets up. And I'm not boasting, but I'm being honest. If we don't have spaces to pray and times to pray, guess what? We're never going to pray. Now, for you, if you're a traveler or you have little ones, you're going to have to be creative. But that's okay. God will help you if you want to. So Daniel, though, his devotion to God, though, isn't private alone because everyone knows he's a prayer. Everyone knows he's going home to pray. And so I just wonder, are we the kind of people who enjoy spending time with God? Are we the kind of people that God could promote? Are we the kind of people who enjoy spending time in his presence? And look, this isn't a guilt trip. There are seasons and there are ups and downs. And I'm not saying all of us are on the steady climb. Like, man, every year I look more like Jesus. You know, my hair is growing curlier. I'm getting more tan, you know. No, not literally. But, but, but in character, I'm getting more like Jesus. There are peaks. There are valleys. I get that. But in life, are we the kind of people who love to spend time with God? Here's why this makes a difference. It's what sets Daniel apart. He's got this life with God that's real, that they realize the only place they're going to get this guy to crack is when it comes to him and his God. And the invitation that we have is to grow in this area. You know, it's not a got to. It's a, it, God's not looking for robots. And this is not a, another call like, okay, pastor, here you go. I need to do more Jesus time. If that's the feeling, don't do it. Don't bother. It's not impressive to God. But I think he loves it. And any of you 
who oversees people. You're a parent or a guardian or you're a manager. You love it when the people under your care want to be with you. Not for what they can get, but because they value your relationship. If you're a parent, when your kids want you and not just cash, you know? When, when they want to be with you because you matter to them, there is something beautiful about that. And God, who is relational, loves it when his kids want to be with him. So the invitation is to not let busyness be an excuse. Daniel oversees 120 people plus the two other managers who are representing all of the cash for the king in what was the Babylonian Empire. He's got a J-O-B, people. He's not sitting around playing on his phone. Anyone who had an excuse to, to not have time with God would be Daniel. And I think that's a call to us. We want to grow in people of character and we want to grow to be the kind of people that love to spend time with God. I want to suggest to you, you are too busy not to pray. You have too many decisions to make not to hear from God. You have too many people and too many things under your care that you, you can't get by without God's presence. So I would hope for us as we see Daniel and we look at his life that we would want God more. That's our hope for you. Well, when you want God more, everything works out great, right? No. Look at verse 15. It does not work out great. Verse 15, then the men went as a group to King Darius, and they said to him, remember your majesty, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, brought Daniel, threw him into the lion's den. Again, I have five minutes with tigers. I can't even imagine being 85 years old. Well, maybe at 85, you don't even care. I don't know. But, but I can't imagine this. So the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And a stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the ring of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. So in other words, no one could get him out. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he couldn't sleep. So the king's even wrestling with this because he loves this man. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Pause. Like, anything? And then Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel. And he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in the sight, nor have I ever done you any wrong, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found from him because he had trusted in his God. Now, if you're wondering, well, maybe, you know, maybe they already fed the lions beforehand. Look what happens next. Verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and children, which is gnarly. But you don't tick off the king in this day. The king realized what they had done, and he makes a statement to anyone who's going to dupe the king. It's going to get your whole family. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and, and graphic here, crushed all their bones. So Daniel, we see, is faithful in character. He's he faithful in prayer. Now I want us to see 
and we've just read it. Daniel is faithful through trials. He's faithful through trials. Um, I want us to notice when the king says, uh, you can't pull out the edict. Do you see Daniel complain, protest? You don't, actually. This is interesting. Daniel takes it. If it's between obeying my God and obeying your command, I'm following God. He takes it. Throw me in the den. What kind of tenacity and trial? But you know what? I think the word for us is when you go public about your faith, sometimes you're going to be called out on it, right? Sometimes you're going to be called out on it. And you're going to have to stand up in the marketplace and decide, is my career advancement more important than my allegiance to Jesus? Now hear me, Daniel's not looking for trouble. Daniel's not looking to be a troublemaker. So don't be a troublemaker and provoke people in Jesus' name. Say, ha, ha, ha. He's not trying to berate the king. You don't even see him necessarily trying to convert the king. He's being faithful to his God under the leadership he's given. But when, when a trial comes his way, he's public about his allegiance to Jesus. I want, to think, I want us to think for a moment about the words of Jesus to every one of his disciples, including you and me. Matthew 16, it's on the screen. Jesus said to his followers, he said to you, put your name in there. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. So we don't look for conflict. But when you choose to follow Jesus, figure this out beforehand. Jesus said, if you want to really gain life, it may cost you something. As a matter of fact, allegiance to me is the way of the cross. And Jesus doesn't run from suffering. He walks through suffering to bring us to joy. And so sometimes God will use difficult circumstances in your life, trials, temptations, struggles, ridicule, laughter on the job. But if there's someone that, say, is within an earshot of you, when you and I cave in our following of Jesus so easily, what does it say to the person who's interested but not talking about it, right? When there's a character, when there's a gray issue, and you and I, in our allegiance to Jesus, don't stand up for what's right, don't do what's right, don't live with integrity, what does it say to the other person? It gives a witness that this following of Jesus doesn't really change anything. It's just lip service. But in the other token, Daniel, his faithfulness to say, I'm guilty. I am praying to the one living God. I'm facing Jerusalem. My salvation doesn't come from you, king. It comes from the creator. Put me in. I'll take my penalty. It says to everyone in the empire, this God's worth following. And guess what? In the end, God raises up Daniel. And those who opposed him are made low. Notice, Daniel doesn't berate or beat the people opposing him, does he? He doesn't go on a social media tirade. He takes the heat in the name of his God. And he, he does things in a way that are innocent. King, I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. And God raises him up. And so in the same way, we're called to live faithful under trial. And let me just encourage you, your faithfulness today could be the open door tomorrow. 
Your faithfulness to Jesus in the small things, at work, in the home, in the neighborhood, can be the open door for conversation tomorrow. Daniel doesn't know if God is going to rescue him. He doesn't know that. But he goes in with confidence. I'm faithful to God, and everyone's going to know it. And let the chips fall where they may. God, I'm with you. And the beauty of it, and we saw it with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God was in the fire. And now we see God is in the lion's den. God is with us. So when we look, you know, those, those are a couple of things to think about about Daniel. Faithful in character, faithful in prayer, faithful through trials. I think these are things we can latch on to, right? These aren't obscure. These aren't for a few. These aren't just for leaders. These are for everyone. Now, as we kind of come to the end of Daniel 6, and we've seen six chapters of his life, I want us to, to leave in our response to worship with two things about Daniel that we need to know and that the writer has in view. The writer is not writing this haphazardly. We get all the biography, and then we get the prophecy for a reason. I think when you look at the whole of the Bible, Daniel is a picture of Jesus. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's allusions all over. Daniel is a picture of Jesus. I don't have time to go through all the case and points, but I'll just look at what we looked at this morning. Um, Daniel's faithful in character. Jesus is faithful in character. When you see Daniel, you aspire to what God-likeness looks like. But looking forward, it's a pointer. The faithfulness of Daniel is small in comparison to the faithfulness of Jesus. Daniel's not perfect, Although the text doesn't have a lot of bad to say about him. But Jesus is the perfect one. Uh, Daniel's faithful in prayer. He's in relationship with his God. He's communing. He's hearing from God. He has words for the kings from God. And then you see the most faithful representation is Jesus. Whereas Daniel shares the words about God or from God, Jesus shares the word of God. If you hear Jesus, you are hearing God himself. So Daniel's a picture of what's to come. And then Daniel's faithful under trial. He has multiple trials, and through every one of them, he's faithful. And the difference in the beauty is Jesus is more faithful under trial. Daniel is rescued from death. Jesus goes through death. Daniel doesn't have to die. He's vindicated. He's proven innocent. And Jesus, the Holy One, he's the one who takes death, defeats death for us. So Daniel points us to Jesus. That's just a helpful marker and it's going to play in next week in Daniel 7 as we see a statement that comes from Daniel, a prophecy about the ancient of days and the one who's to come. And that's going to be quoted later in the New Testament as referring to Jesus. More on that next week. Um, and Google search how to spell apocalyptic because every time I type it, I spell it wrong. Okay, that's another note. Uh, second thing, and we're going to respond, Daniel is a reminder that we should live faithful to Jesus. So when you look at all of Daniel's life, not only about character and prayer and trials, but the big picture when we see Daniel is we should get a better view of Jesus, we should long for Jesus, and as we look back reading it, we should want to live faithful to Jesus, which again is a guilt trip, I get it, if we don't give the additional help. You and I living faithful to Jesus shouldn't be a chore, like live a godly character, do the right thing, be faithful in trial, do more, try more. You know, that just gets exhausting. I, I wouldn't come to church if I just heard that every week. Go harder, try harder, pick yourself up. 
at the end, you just get exhausted, and that's not really good news. Here's the good news. Because we've chosen to follow Jesus, you and I have the Holy Spirit, so the invitation is actually to let the Holy Spirit produce faithfulness through trial in you. That's the difference. This is not a call for you to live a, a better life because Jesus is looking. It's actually an invitation to say, Jesus has come into your life. He's embedded his DNA in you. Now, if that is true, and he's given you his Holy Spirit, then love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, guess what? That's your inheritance. That's who you really are. You are love and you are joy and you are peace and you can hold up under trial and you can exercise self-control. All of that is who the Holy Spirit is inside of us. So the difference between those reading Daniel before Jesus and now us is massive. Before Jesus, everyone was looking ahead. Man, maybe there's someone faithful like that. But now we look back and we see that Jesus is the faithful one and I'm simply attaching myself to him. And so my invitation and your invitation is to simply live into the Holy Spirit. God wants to produce his fruitfulness and his beauty and his character and his steadfastness in us. So two questions to drive that. Question number one, in what areas are we growing to live more like Jesus? We need to celebrate this a little more. Sometimes we look at the areas of our life that are unlike Jesus, and we can get depressed. We ought to celebrate. If you're here with someone that you know, please do me a favor today. Whether it's a spouse or a friend and someone in your community, think about one area in that friend or relative's life where you see Jesus making a difference and character changing. And please let them know you see it. When you see patience instead of frustration, let's high five. Let's celebrate it. Here's why. God is producing that in us. And so church ought to be a place where we rejoice in progress. Yeah, you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm 40 years into following Jesus, and I feel like I'm on chapter one. I'm going to have to live to 380 just to like make like real progress. I'm slowly being changed. But guess what? I see it in my life. I am being changed. And God is even using trials to do it. So let's celebrate Jesus is at work in you. But that's not the only question because we need to be honest in our discipleship to Jesus. We need to be real in our discipleship to Jesus. Let me ask a more pressing question and let's respond by worshiping him. In what areas are we resisting him? That's the tough one. I want to celebrate progress in your life, and I hope that you'll celebrate progress in my life. But I have to be honest. There are areas where I'm not exactly looking for Jesus' transforming power. And for me, they're so glaring uh, that it's just, it's just hard to move past it. I am by default selfish. I am so me-focused that I'm focused on me. I'm, I'm, I just think about me. How's this going to impact me? Not how's this going to impact you? And so I have to be honest. Am, am, I, am I asking the Holy Spirit of God to break through areas in my world where I seem to default and say, well, that's who I am. And so as a disciple, I want, 
I want to submit those things to Jesus. So let's just not celebrate the good. Let's also be honest about the areas where we need, hear me, not more work to make it happen. We need more of the Holy Spirit's presence to enable me to become the person that God created me to be. So are you longing for a consistent, growing time with God? Let's just ask that. Do you even want that? Is that a priority? If not, let's ask the Holy Spirit. Are you longing to want to know what Jesus has to say for you to do and to be this week? Are you looking for his direction? Are you saying that God, on Monday, what I need is not just a triple shot of this to get through the day. I really need wisdom. I really need guidance. I really need your presence. Are you looking for opportunities to represent Jesus? Do you see your work, where you live, your, your natural community, the people you bump into? Do you see those as, as people that God has placed you into so that like Daniel and like Jesus, you can help point the way to life with the Father? Do you see that your life, everyday life, is God's opportunity to show his love through you? Do, do we even see those as like important? If not, Let's ask the Holy Spirit to search our heart and create in us the space and the desire to be like him. And so this morning, we get an opportunity to respond and let these acts of worship, let these moments of worship where we rejoice how Jesus is changing us and we invite the Holy Spirit to do more. Let's make this a holy moment and I pray that it is for you. How do we respond this morning? In a moment, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing. Uh, just to remind you or to let you know because some are, are visiting. If God's touched you about something, you say, you know what? I want to press into that a bit. We have a prayer team that is here made up of people who are seated right here right now. When everyone gets up to sing, those in our prayer team slip out. You're wondering, why do some people leave? It's because we have a side room, a quieter space so that you and I can sit with a friend, a new friend, and bring those things to Jesus together. And so you may have never have gone. Maybe you go every week. You're invited. Uh, when we stand up and when we sing, you can go and get on your knees before God or sit with a friend and pray that through. Hear from the Spirit about your situation. These are ways you can respond this morning. And as always, all of this doesn't make sense until you start following Jesus. So today's the best day to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I trust that you came to save me. I want to follow you. And if, if you haven't done that yet, why not right now, okay? Uh, so why don't you stand on your feet and let's respond in worship. Whether that's saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. You could just say it that simply, Jesus, I want to follow you. Help me. Help me know the way. And he'll meet you where you're at. Uh, go to the prayer room this morning if that's something that you sense God is leading you towards. Or just sing these songs and make them prayers. Lord, we now come to you because you're God and you're good and everything you do is right. So now, Holy Spirit, search us. Find the areas of weakness and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to bring the presence of God himself. You come and create the change we cannot create in our own strength. Jesus, help us, we pray.